happy Father's Day. And good morning to everybody. For the fathers in particular, I pray that uh, on this day and throughout the year, you find both the grace, the patience, and the wisdom to excel at being a dad. It's so important. It is just so valuable. It changes the lives of your children. It changes your life too. And we rejoice, those of us who are fathers, in that great opportunity, but we are also so much aware of how much we need God's help and mercy and grace to be good fathers. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, because you are so good to us. We've experienced that love and that goodness. We've experienced your hand shaping, molding, and leading us your word affirming us, your commands directing us. You are indeed a good, good father. We ask you now, Lord, that you would speak to your children through your word, that you would help us know you better and know ourselves better and why we're here and what it is that you desire to see emerge in us and through us. We're also your servants as well as your children, so speak, Lord. We will listen. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about two television shows that I find absolutely compelling and engaging. The first one was called Scientific American Frontiers. It ran for 15 years from 1990 to 2005 on PBS. Each hour-long episode dealt with the recent scientific developments from astronomy to zoology, from chemistry, computers, insects, physics, nuclear medicine, to nuclear weapons. But what captured me and held my interest and generated really delight was the host and narrator of the show, none other than Alan Alda, Hawkeye from MASH. Alda was always curious, questioning, attentive, and just got such a kick out of learning new things. At times he was just gleeful at seeing a comet through a telescope or riding as a passenger in a driverless car. Episode after episode, I found myself interested and curious, even astonished at the things he was interested, curious, and astonished about. Those shows are all available online now. The other show is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives on the Food Network. Have you seen these? Guy Fieri, the celebrity chef, drives his 67 Chevy Camaro SS all around the country to great diners and other comfort food casual dining places. He's been here in St. Louis and he visited, for example, Sweetie Pies and Iron Barley, Antonino's on the Hill, Highway 61 Roadhouse and Webster Groves. Regularly though, he will feature a restaurant with a dish that I would never order. And yet, by the time he has discussed with the owner why it's featured and we watch him describe how it's made and then describe how it tastes, I find myself craving things like confit pork belly corn dogs or blueberry goat cheese pie. I've learned a lot of things watching these two shows, but something I didn't expect to learn from Alda or Fieri has to do with evangelism. You didn't see that coming, did you? And we'll get back to those two guys in a few minutes. And I know that some of you might think, Tim, 
you sure ring that evangelism, outreach, share your faith bell a lot. I do. But I don't do it in excess because it is near the core of our relationship with Jesus. From time to time in life, the church needs a wake-up call to some simple and central and basic things. And one of these is Christianity is a converting religion. It is evangelistic, it is persuasive and expansive and missionary. Now it's not coercive. It does not use the sword or manipulation or brainwashing, but it does proclaim and persuade and plead and pray. And where this is not believed and practiced, Christianity ceases to be Christianity. When we lose a passion to see people won over to Jesus, we lose Jesus. Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading, heart-entreating, rescuing, missionary faith, or it's not true Christianity. We need to be reminded of this because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. Little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We can go for months and years and not think about those who without Christ are perishing. We become so dull and spiritually callous that we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the preciousness of Christ or the power of the cross and the freeness of the gospel and the command of Jesus. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing left but a smooth running program for doctors and nurses and their families. That's what happens to many churches. It must not happen to ours. This is the last message in our series, The Real Deal. In the second half of this letter to the Colossians, in chapters 3 and 4, Paul the Apostle was describing the outcome for every believer who believes in a resurrected Jesus. And since the resurrection is real history, we're called to a way of living that is our real destiny. God, through Jesus, is making us into the real deal, fully formed followers of Jesus. And all this takes us to a call to have a real effect on the time and place among the people around us that we now inhabit. Here's how Paul describes this real effect. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 6. Now last week, we looked at the first part of this section, and we described how devoted, watchful, and thankful prayer is the supernatural means by which the Holy Spirit orients our disconnected, distracted hearts toward the mission of disciple-making that Jesus has given to each of his followers. And though we will encounter resistance to Christ's call to people to turn from personal sin 
and to be forgiven and free from judgment, guilt, and shame through this devoted, watchful, and thankful prayer. Nevertheless, we continue on because these closed doors of resistance are opened. And what might Paul, or you, or I do, should the door be open? Well, look back in verse 3 at the end. It says in verse 3, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. We should have one goal, one solitary purpose, to proclaim the mystery of Christ. The word mystery doesn't mean what it does like in a murder mystery when we don't know who done it and why. The New Testament typically uses this word mystery when it describes a truth that was formerly hidden, but now it is made known in Jesus Christ. The mystery of Christ is the revelation of what God has done and through his son to make possible atonement for sin and its forgiveness. That the word should become flesh, John chapter 1, 14, is a mystery now made known for our salvation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, is a mystery now revealed for our justification. That faith alone in a crucified Messiah is the power of God unto salvation, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, is a mystery now made known for our eternal welfare. Where Christ is not proclaimed, the gospel is not known. And no matter how psychologically soothing a sermon may be, if the mystery of Christ is not center stage, the gospel has not been preached. The focus of our message is not self-esteem or social justice, racial reconciliation, the plight of the poor, or world peace, as important as those issues are in their own right. But Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the salvation of our lost, of lost souls. That is the core of our message. That's what needs to be played, to be preached. Turning from the slavery of sin to a savior who with his own blood bought your forgiveness and freedom and adopted you into the family of God is the basis for anyone's self-esteem. It's the foundation for social justice, the ground of racial reconciliation, the motivation for our lifting up the poor and the source of peace on earth. And frankly, if you have self-esteem, if you experience social justice and eradicate racial animosity, if you never want for anything materially and enjoy a peaceful existence without receiving Christ as your savior, you're dead in your sins. You're under the wrath of God and face his unassailable justice of eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. The preaching of the gospel is the announcement of the sole remedy for the worst condition that besets men and women. And its effect treats the many other maladies in our broken world as well. Now I found the next verse astonishing at first glance. Verse four, Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, if anyone had a grasp of the gospel, I would think it would be Paul the Apostle. His letters in the New Testament, he clearly explains the gospel and its impact on a believer's life. But if you look ahead to the next two verses, it tells me that Paul isn't talking about clarity 
regarding the details of the gospel. No, he wants to be clearly applied to the context of his hearers' lives and worldview. That's the clarity he's after. I had the invaluable privilege of being trained by one of the greatest pastoral preachers in the United States today. His name is Dr. Brian Chappell. He was the head of homiletics department at Covenant Theological Seminary when I attended there, and later he served as its president. He is now the senior pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. But while I was studying under him, he emphasized that in any sermon or any presentation of the gospel, we should seek to connect it to something common to what we humans tend to struggle with in ourselves or in the world. He called it the fallen condition focus. You discover what the fallen condition focus is, and then you apply the truth, the authority, and hear this, the grace in God's word to that condition so that your hearers have a genuine connection to their real life and to true hope and the mercy of God. So among your friends and family and acquaintances who are far from God, what are the effects of living in a broken and fallen world that rob them of joy, that fill them with pain or fear or anxiety, that wreck their personal economies or shred their families in marriage? How does the good news of Jesus, the word of God, offer hope and healing and help? Well, how did it do it for you? This is the clarity we pray for, and this is the path to wise outreach and compelling conversation the next two verses call us to, so that we can truly connect with others. Verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Notice, this is specifically about addressing and interacting with outsiders. Now, calling people outsiders, that's not a moral judgment, and it's not meant at all to be disparaging. These are people Jesus seeks and came to save. But at the same time, they are, at this point in time, outside of his family. So wisdom helps us make the most out of every opportunity. Wisdom aims at winning outsiders to Christ. There are two remarkable texts in the Old Testament that connect wisdom with this particular goal of reaching outsiders. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. Here's the way Daniel puts it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Those who have insight, meaning those who are wise, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness are like the stars forever and ever. The goal of the wise, the goal of true wisdom is to lead people to righteousness. And we know now that Christ is our righteousness. So the goal of wisdom is to lead people to Christ. And finally, we take our cue from, remember these guys? Alan Alda and Guy Fieri. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer 
everyone. When we are reaching to others, when we're reaching to people who are outside the family of God, we gotta bring the joy, the intrigue, the wonder, the delight, the curiosity, the concern, the glee, and yes, the love. Alda isn't an expert in science, but he was moved by what he encountered and evidently had eagerness and joy in sharing that. You watch these shows, he is positively infectious. Now, Guy Fieri is an expert in food, in its preparation and presentation, but it doesn't get bogged down in those things on the show. No, it's about the aroma, the sound of sizzling bubble, sweetness, savor, satisfaction, and taste of comfort food. And as a viewer, I just want to taste and see which is what the scripture recommends to us. Psalm 34 is an Old Testament song of outreach, a call to turn from sin and turn to God as Savior. In this psalm, David gives his personal account of his interaction with God's mercy and grace and love. And right in the middle of the song, in verse 8, he sings, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Do you want to be the real deal and to honor your Savior by having a real effect on the world around you? I believe you do. But don't pounce on the next wait staff or clerk that you encounter. Spend some time with Jesus in his word, in the quiet, and reconnect to the wonders of his love and acceptance and forgiveness. Recall how his grace first captured your heart and altered your worldview. Relate again to your own personal fallenness and the liberty that his grace provided. Remember your first sweet taste of mercy. Renew your longing for his return and relax in the comfort of knowing that you are always loved and you're never homeless. Exalt in his majesty and anticipate the revealing of his glory. Then, out of obedience to the one that you call Lord and compassion for the fragile and broken humans all around you, then proclaim the mystery of Christ. Do it. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your voice in this message today. And we've heard from your heart. Christ Jesus came into the world. Sinners to save. He came to seek and save the lost. And our Lord, your son, he gave us the mission of reconciliation to call people from their place of death to life, to show forth your mercy and your grace and your love, the peril of their lostness, the depth of their brokenness and hurt and need.
and the way of escape and the path to wholeness and healing and life. We want to be about that. We want to embrace that mission. We will seek you, Lord, with devoted, watchful, and thankful prayer about these things. And we will bring forth from our own hearts and experiences all the wonder and the joy and the intrigue, the celebration, the glory and the mystery of the gospel of Jesus. Help us do that. Help us obey, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you again soon.